When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. We haven't done one of these in a while. We are doing a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast as the Browns get ready to play the Commanders in their second preseason game. Although, don't tell that to Kevin Stefanski. He's seeing it as their first preseason game. Uh, The starters will play a couple of series on uh, Friday night against Washington. So, uh, certainly a good reason to tune in for at least a little while. But let's start today. All these questions come from our Football Insider subscribers. Let's start today with the big news from Wednesday, which is the Shelby Harris signing. And Brett wants to know, hey, Mary Kay, one thing that hasn't been clear, why was Shelby Harris available? Was it age? It seems like a great pickup. You know, it's a good question. It is a great pickup. And a lot of times uh, a guy is looking for the right opportunity or you do uh, have a guy that's about to turn 32 on Friday and it just takes them a while to find a job. He's probably in the same boat as a Jadavian Clowney, a Kareem Hunt, a John Johnson three, and some of the running backs that are still out there. Uh, There's, you know, cost versus talent of the player. Uh, But I don't think there's any smoking gun per se. I think it was just a matter of, uh, you know, bringing him into a situation that, that he wants to come into and then also finding the right amount of money and all of those kinds of things. Once you get to this point in your career, you know, you might not just want to go anywhere. You might want to have an opportunity to go somewhere where you can win or you don't want to play for the veteran minimum and you want somebody that's going to be willing to pay you up to $5.25 million. So I think a lot of factors went into it. Uh, but I still think he has plenty enough in the tank to get the job done next to Dalvin Tomlinson. Yeah, I think there's a few factors. And and I think I think sometimes with older guys like this, it goes back to, you know, since they redid the CBA in 2011 and put in the rookie scale, some of these older guys, they maybe can't get the money they want, right? Like, because teams just don't want to go out and spend big dollars on, you know, middle-of-the-road-ish free agents. But also... And maybe Shelby Harris just didn't want to go through the grind of training camp. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe he wanted to wait a little while and sign right around this time so he can show up, get himself ready to play, and then go play. I mean, a lot of these guys don't want to have to go through OTAs and mini camp and then show up and go to the Greenbrier or whatever their team has for them and go through that grind of those early days of camp. I mean, I doubt Shelby Harris really needs that. We don't know. We haven't talked to him yet, but... You know, that's always part of it, too. Like you said, he's going to be, what, you said 32 on Friday. So, uh, you know, who who wants to go through that when, when you're 32 years old and you've been in the league as long as he has? Yeah, I mean, I can assure you that uh, that, that is part of the method to Jadavian Clowney's madness, that uh, he waits as long as he possibly can. And, you know, now there's a chance that, that he will sign with the Baltimore Ravens and he will have missed uh, the bulk of training camp, show up just in time, for, you know, a a couple more training camp practices and one or two more games, one of which or both of which he probably won't even end up having to play in. So, you know, that that has a lot to do with it for the guys at this stage of their career. But this happens um, with all of these uh, older, longtime veterans. They they find their home uh, just as about as the season is about to begin. And uh, some of them, you know, they wait until after all the final cuts are made and see how things shake out there. But I, th- I don't think that there is anything out of the ordinary here. Does this signing tell us, I mean, maybe we already knew this, but does this signing tell us that like the Browns are kind of all in, like they're going for it? Not that Shelby Harris is a pro bowler, but this is a significant, I mean, if he's the player he was in Denver, like this is a significant upgrade. This is a significant signing. And this is a guy that's sort of out of character for Andrew Barry. And he's done it and had a few moves like that this off season. Is this like just another indication that this team is really going for it? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they're doing everything they possibly can to make every single position as strong as it can be. And I think this is also a sign that when they looked at the film and when Jim Schwartz looked at the film and evaluated it, that he must have felt he needed something a little bit more at defensive tackle. One of the good things about Shelby Harris is the fact that he can get inside rush. He can really uh, you know, push the pocket from the interior. And that's one thing that's very important to Jim Schwartz in his defense. It's one of the things that they really liked about Zadarius Smith. Now, the thing about Zadarius Smith is he's probably going to be pretty needed on the outside, which means that maybe you do want somebody else getting that same interior rush from the inside besides him. So there will be times when we see Miles Garrett, Zadarius Smith, Dalvin Tomlinson, and Oboe on the outside. Now there will be times where you will have Miles Garrett and Z on the outside, and then you will end up having, um, you know, Shelby and Dalvin on the inside. So there's lots of different ways that you can go with these guys. Um, and I think the key is, as we have been talking about all along with Jim Schwartz's defense, is the versatility. You know, you can play Z outside, inside. I'm sure you could do the same thing uh, with Shelby Harris, who has uh, played in a three, four defense before. And, you know, some people have considered him to be an end and uh, you know, so, so there's lots of different things that you can do with these guys. Yeah. I was going to bring that up because he's played a, a fair amount of snaps as an end, um, especially as a three, four. end. so like there, there's just different things. Like you could line up, I don't know, maybe you line up with a three-man front at some point and you and you throw Zadarius inside and Shelby outside and just do things to make an offensive coordinator and an offensive line have to think because you've got all these high-level pass rushers just across the board and who knows where they're going to line up. And, you know, hey, the first thing you got to do is find 95. So if you can make that difficult, that that's, that could be for, that could make for a long day for an offensive line. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're stacking up and they're just adding as many really good defensive linemen and guys for that front as they possibly can. And the other thing that I keep thinking that maybe they will do is use Oboe as an outside linebacker. When you talk to him, when you look at him, you know, he looks to me like, you know, he could play an outside linebacker spot. So there will, I think, be times where all of those guys could be on the field, whether you put them all up on the line or you don't. Maybe you put some in the back, whether you're running a you know, a, a five-man line or a four-man line or three-man or six-man or two-man, whatever you do. I think they can be multiple up front uh, because you can do so many things with these guys. And there might be a time where you look out there and say, hey, our best option at linebacker is a defensive end named Oboe. And I could see that happening. And, uh, you know, it's almost going to be catch, catch me if you can uh, type of looks that we're going to see on that defensive line. Okay, let's move to another part of the line. We had a few questions about uh, the outside. This comes from Anise Barner in Toledo. Hey, Mary Kay, with Isaiah Thomas and Alex Wright injuries, what role will Isaiah McGuire have? Well, I think it gives him an opportunity to step up and prove that he deserves to be part of the end rotation. Now, you know, that could be hard for a rookie to do that, but Alex Wright got in there last year. So if, if, Isaiah McGuire can demonstrate that he's ready for some action, that he's understanding what he's seeing, uh, that he has a handle on the defense and he's ready to go, then he will get some reps in the rotation, especially early on. These guys are supposed to be ready fairly early in the season, but I'm guessing they'll miss, a, miss at least a couple of games. And so that opens the door for an Isaiah McGuire. And again, this could be another reason why they went out and signed a, a Shelby Harris, because you might need Z on the outside a little bit more early on than you originally thought. And, you know, on top of that, Alex Wright and Isaiah Thomas, when they drafted them, very raw prospects. And, it, you know, it still seems like they're going to need some work. You know, we've gone over sort of what they did last year. And then, you you know, you go back to the Hall of Fame game. They didn't really do much. They didn't play a ton in that game. Obviously, one of them got hurt in that game. The other got hurt on that Saturday practice after the game. But again, it was still sort of a quiet performance from them. So I don't think it was any like sure thing necessarily that those guys were going to be, you know, absolutely in pen. The next guy's up at, at edge rusher. I think there was probably still an opportunity for Isaiah McGuire or somebody else to, to step into those roles and this injury or these injuries just sort of speed that process up. Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you think about it, Isaiah Thomas was sort of a bonus player 
they drafted him in the seventh round last year out of Oklahoma. Generally, I, I don't even think Andrew Barry likes to make those seventh round picks. I think uh, when he has them, he tries to get out of them or, or trade up or do something. Uh, so I don't know that, you know, they really looked at Isaiah Thomas as someone that they felt was going to be a major contributor to their football team going forward. Certainly they felt that way about Alex Wright. That's why you draft a guy in the third round, because you do believe that he can be a contributor right away or a starter for you down the road. Uh, we'll have to see how that goes. He came out of UAB. It was a big adjustment for him last year, and he was going to need to take a big step up this year. Now, maybe he will take that big step up in this attack-minded defense, which really showcases these defensive linemen and gives them an opportunity uh, you know, to get those one-on-ones and to really go forward and, and to shine and to get those sacks and to get those pressures and to be disruptive. So maybe this was going to be an opportunity for one or both of those guys to really excel and stand out also in this wide nine scheme. But, you know, we have to see, we just don't know the answer to that. And generally I have found that when a guy misses all or most of training camp, that it's, it's tough. It's tough to recover from that and to come back and to be the player that you expected to be that year. Okay, we have two questions. I'm going to combine them here. This could probably just be a podcast all its own. Uh, but Phil Knopp in Nashville, actually, no, he has another one. This, this is actually from Bill in Centerville, Ohio. Uh, he says, hey, Mary Kay, with all the injuries already, how is the quality of the Browns' depth by position group? And then the other one is Kyle from Northampton, Massachusetts. What position groups, other than quarterback, have the biggest drop-off between starters and backups where an injury or two would be especially problematic so like i said this could be a podcast in its own right maybe we should just real quickly go through the positions and figure out how we feel about the depth there outside a quarterback and let's just start with running back because that's one of the positions that kyle brought up and we're seeing that play out right now nick chubb of course is the starter jerome ford is the backup but jerome ford might not be ready week one so how do we feel about the running back depth right now Well, I'm going to get to running back in one quick second, and I know he said outside of quarterback, but I actually just want to mention quarterback really quickly, too, because, right, because, you know, there's a huge drop off from Deshaun Watson to Joshua Dobbs. Joshua Dobbs has started two games. You're talking about a three time pro bowler and then going down to a player who started two NFL games. And then after that, a rookie fifth round pick. So that's a position that I don't think that can be ignored in terms of when you're talking about the depth and the experience level. But like you said, that could be a podcast in and of itself. Um, If you move over to the running backs, I think there's a significant drop off there. We talked about this a little bit yesterday on our podcast. Um, Stump Mitchell was discussing with us in his um, press conference the other day that Jerome Ford wasn't taking the coaching well or wasn't the kind of rookie or the teammate that people needed him to be. So we don't know what Jerome Ford is going to be all about this year. He's going to have to demonstrate that he has grown up, that he has matured, that he is doing the things that he needs to do to be a professional and that he's ready to go as the backup running back. But the truth of the matter now is he's going to miss at least a couple of weeks. And once again, when you miss chunks of time in training camp, It's hard for a young player to come back from that. He's learning the offense. He's going to have to learn blitz pickup. He's going to have to be studying film. He's going to have to learn what they're going to try to do to him. If they see a a, a second-year running back in there on third down, they're coming after him. I mean, they're going to come after him. That's just the name of the game. So he's got to be ready for that. And I think it's a significant injury. Um, So you have that, and, um, you know, after that, You've got, you know, John Kelly, Demetri Felton, Hassan Hall. So I think the Browns are going to continue to look to add another running back to that room, someone with a little bit of experience, someone that can spell Nick Chubb and get those tough yards, catch the ball, pick up the blitz, and do all of those kinds of things. So that's a place to keep an eye on. Do you want? Should we keep going, or do you want to jump in here, Dan? Let's let's keep going. Let's go through the some other positions here. Um, wide receiver. It's, uh, you know, so you got Amari, you got Donovan Peoples-Jones, you've got Elijah Moore. After that, um, you you know, Cedric Tillman will include in there. He's looked pretty good. And, you know, we know he's going to make the team, obviously. Do we feel good about the depth at wide receiver, though, after that top three? You know what? I I think it's still a work in progress. I mean, you've got guys like uh, Anthony Schwartz. Uh, who is really working hard to try to prove that he deserves a spot on this football team. I I think he's still in the bubble, 
I think they want to take advantage of his speed. I don't think they want to give up on him. I will say Chad O'Shea spoke of him in glowing terms yesterday. So that that was kind of a little bit of a, a green flag for me saying, oh, you know, maybe he does have a, a decent chance. But he's got to go out there and he's got to prove it in, in this game and in the practices against the Philadelphia Eagles and in future games. He's got to prove uh, that he has what it takes uh, to hang on to the ball. I mean, he lost the football on his first touch of the ball in the Hall of Fame game. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to fly. David Bell, solid camp, not spectacular. Not spectacular, but solid. I think he's taken a step up. But David is what David is. He's a he's more of a possession type receiver. He's got really good hands. He's reliable. He's where he's supposed to be when you need him to be there. Let's see what he can do this season. You and I have gone back and forth over this numerous times. I still think he's going to make the team. A lot of people don't think he he's going to make the team. But once again, he's a recent third round draft pick. They're not giving up on him anytime soon. I don't think. Um, so, you know, there's David and then Austin Watkins, who I believe you're going to be having a story on very soon. Um, Austin Watkins came out of the USFL. He's done a really nice job in the couple of weeks that he has been here with the Cleveland Browns. He was signed as a free agent on July 22nd. He's the one that had the game winning touchdown catch from DTR in the hall of fame game. Really nice route, good hands, good, uh, you know, concentration through the catch, and, and made the play when he needed to make it. He also caught a 13-yard pass on that drive on third down to convert a third and three. And he's shown some really nice things, and he's got really good size too. Um, so, so that's good. You lost an element of speed when Marquise Goodwin uh, left the lineup with the blood clots, and Anthony Schwartz hasn't really been what you had hoped just yet, but you added more size. So you've got another sort of Cedric Tillman size guy there in Austin Watkins. Uh, so they have some pieces and parts. It's just amazing. I think they're going right now. I would say I think they're okay with their receiver depth. Yeah. So based on where David Bell is playing right now, um, he seems pretty safe. But I I do think this could present an interesting problem for the Browns if they kind of get squeezed on the numbers game there at wide receiver, and if they're sitting here looking at David Bell kind of having a just sort of meh camp you know, didn't really do a ton. And obviously there's still a long ways to go, but if we kind of go through camp and it's kind of like, okay, David Bell didn't really do a whole lot. And the only reason we'd want to keep him is because he was a third round pick, but here's like two other guys, whether it's Austin Watkins and Jalen Darden, or, you know, the unlikely scenario that Marquise Goodwin is, you know, somehow good to go. Uh, you want to get Jakeem Grant on the roster. I think it's trending that way for him being the return guy. Anthony Schwartz suddenly shows you he belongs, you know, some, somebody else outplays David Bell, but there's only one spot and it's David Bell or that guy. I think it presents an interesting problem for the Browns on cut down day. Yeah. I mean, I think if he's tied with another guy that uh, the, the third round draft pick thing will weigh heavily. There's no way they want to give up on him that quickly. They draft these guys young and then they develop them. And as we have seen already with Anthony Schwartz, they do not cast them aside without a whole lot of thought. Andrew Berry has cut, I think, now three of his 24 draft picks. Uh, so David Bell's going to get a chance to be on this football team. I really do believe that. I, I just don't see them being ready to part ways with him yet. But I understand what you're saying. I mean, if you've got a guy like Austin Watkins that shows he deserves a spot on the team, you know, then it becomes a difficult decision. But I still think that that David Bell is going to get the benefit of the doubt. And I think some of the injuries at wide receiver have, you know, probably made it a little bit easier for him uh, to make sure that, that he's here. But I've never been really worried about that one. Just from the sheer standpoint of young guy, third round pick, you know, draft him, develop him, work with him, watch him get better and see what he's got. Yeah, and it's also just to note those three draft picks that he's cut. You know, obviously, Perron Winfrey had an off-field issue. Uh, Richard LeCount, things are just weird with, with with Richard LeCount. I think he was having some issues behind the scenes, too. And then the other one was Dawson Deaton, who was a seventh-round pick. Um, and I don't, I don't even think we ever saw He was on IR last year, and I don't think we ever really saw him uh, do a whole lot. So 
it's not just that he's only cut three picks. It's that there were really kind of extenuating circumstances on, on most of those cuts too. So it's, it's going to be a hard sell, but I'm going to talk you into it here, Mary Kay, before, <laughs> before the end of training camp. Um, one other position that I do think we should touch on at least, um, and we can certainly get to others too, if there's somewhere you, where you're a little worried about the depth, is a position we talked about right off the top, and that's the defensive line. I think they're kind of sneakily, unless Isaiah McGuire makes a jump or Alex Wright and Isaiah Thomas get healthy and make jumps, they're kind of sneakily an injury or two away from being really thin on that defensive line. Um, or if like Oboe for some reason, isn't the guy they think he can be that defensive line. Suddenly those, especially the edge rushers, it gets thin quick. So I'd be a little nervous about that position too. Yeah. I mean, they've got three guys they know uh, that can rush the passer from the outside position. And they feel really good about that at this moment. Uh, and, you know, as you said, it's something that I think they're gonna, going to have to keep an eye on. And it does open the door for Isaiah McGuire to, to move in there and prove that he deserves some reps right now in that rotation as the fourth defensive end. And depending on how this all shakes out, we do know, we've talked about this, that Jim Schwartz likes to rotate as many as eight guys in there in a game uh, and, and that those guys will get their opportunities. But in the past... It's actually hasn't been all that easy for the third defensive end to get all the reps, you know, that he would necessarily like to be able to make the impact that that he wants to. So we'll have to see how that goes. I mean, I, I think you're going to see a fair amount, especially now, of uh, you know, of Z and Oboe on the outside, Z Miles and Oboe on the outside. Um, we'll have to see. You know, Z, you can, you know. Again, you can start him on the inside. You can start him on the outside. You can do so many things with him. The thing that that is jumping out to me about this defensive line is how experienced they are. You've got an old school defensive coordinator, and now you've got a line full of longtime veterans. The starters have a minimum of six years experience on that defensive line. And then you've got, um, then you've got Shelby Harris with, nine years of experience, and you've got Z with eight years of experience. So you're talking about an old school coach that likes guys that know what they're doing. They know where to be. They're smart players, and they've been around the bend a time or two. And I think that's important because this is an overhauled defense, and they are going to have to hit the ground running playing three AFC North games in the first four weeks. You have to be ready for Joe Burrow. You have to be ready for Lamar Jackson. You have to be ready for Kenny Pickett. I'm going to throw him in there too, because the way the Steelers coach these players up, I mean, in his second year, I think he's going to take a step up and be a better quarterback. And they have, they've got talent around him. So you've got to be ready for these three AFC North games. And, um, you know, you can't be messing around. Now they've got all kinds of experience to go at it. I do think there's something to be said not, not to turn this into a Kenny Pickett podcast. I don't know what Kenny Pickett's going to be long-term, but there is something to be said about drafting a guy and just committing to him and just building around him and seeing what happens. So, and I've, look, I've said this before. I've learned my lesson. I'm never going to, whatever. It's the Steelers and Mike Tomlin. I'm never going to count them out. I know that they have, again, I don't know what Kenny Pickett's going to be. I know people don't like their OC, but whatever. I'm just, I'm still not going to count the Steelers out. Yeah, I mean, you know, he showed some of the it factor at the end of last year. You know, he showed that he's got, you know, some of that gamer in, in him. And who knows where, where this is going to go? I mean, what we do know about the Steelers is that they usually do a really good job of drafting players. So maybe they hit on Kenny Pickett, you know? I mean, it's, it's you know, it's hard to replace Ben Roethlisberger. We know that. But maybe there is a little bit more to him. Uh, than than some of us think at the outset, and and if so, with the defense that they have and with the talent that they have at other positions, I think they're going to be right in the thick of it as well. Okay, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we've got a kicker question, so we'll get to that on the other side. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. Take a second here to promote a couple of things uh, for you. Uh, find us on YouTube. 
Go search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com on YouTube. You'll find us there. We're doing daily stand-ups from practice. We get, we're doing a bunch of YouTube shorts. Uh, so a lot of good stuff for our YouTube subscribers there. Find us on Instagram. Search Orange Brown Talk, Stories, Reels, uh, wherever we are. Uh, we're, we're posting the, to that as well. And then, of course, these questions come from our Football Insider subscribers. So go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page there. You get a newsletter every day. You can become one of our texters, and you get access to those stories on cleveland.com slash Browns that are for subscribers only. All right, kicker question. Greg from Indianapolis. Hey, Mary Kay, why don't the Browns at least bring in a kicker to compete? No need to waste a season on losing games because of kicking woes. He actually throws out Robbie Gould. As, as a potential option. But, uh, you know, again, we'll see how Friday night goes. But if Cade struggles on Friday night, it feels like this becomes a, a very, very relevant question. Yeah, I think so. And before I answer that question, while we are in the process of promoting different things, I just wanted to compliment you again, Dan, on your excellent Ephraim Banda story, the Brown safeties coach. I know you worked really hard on it. And it turned out Really, really good, and uh, and I want people to go read that if they haven't yet. So um, I think it's at the top of your Twitter um, as your pinned yeah, tweet. I have, it, I have it pinned to my my Twitter right now. So if people want yeah, to go so find you can it. Really easily inter- find really it. interesting story. Yeah, very interesting story. Uh, you had a lot of fun, I know, talking to all the people involved uh, in Ephraim Banda's life, and uh, and I know you had fun writing it, and that comes through. So if you haven't had a chance yet, please go read that. Um, I do. I do want to. I do want to oh, say yeah. because I know you know this, Mary Kay. Yeah. The best stories come from parents, right? When you talk yes. to a great dad or a great mom or something, you just know, yes. like, all right, this is going to be a great story. And, and Ephraim Banda's yes. dad was one of my favorite people to talk to uh, yeah. of all these features that I've done. Yeah, it, it is. It, it is so cool when you get get the opportunity to do that. I've had. Um, you know, luck over the past couple of years with some of those things by talking to Martin Emerson's dad, who just completely, I remember when we talked, he was like going through a car wash and I could barely hear him. And, you know, sometimes the uh, interviews are in crazy situations or whatever, but, you know, got, I got great stuff out of him, uh, you know, just with Michael Woods Jr. talking to his mom, um, you know, about the story of him, you know, so that's, that came through that you really enjoyed talking to Ephraim's dad and you got great stuff. And, uh, and we try to provide some of those nice in-depth features. So all of you guys can get to know uh, some of these coaches and players as other than just what they do on the field. So good job on that. Um, And then in terms of the kicker, yeah, if, if he struggles at the stadium where he struggled the most last year uh, in terms of missing kicks, I do think you have to start to have a conversation about what you're going to do. Your kicker has to be an asset. And, you know, Bubba Ventrone, he is very optimistic about the leap that he thinks Cade York is going to take in his second year. I think they've been working with him a lot on uh, not putting too much pressure on himself, not overthinking things, simplifying and streamlining the process. But it's got to show up on the field. So if he goes out there and he misses a – 42 yard field goal, you know, then I think they're going to have to think about what they're doing here and if they need to bring in some competition or at least just have someone at the ready. Now, in practice, I watched him make a 45 yarder yesterday, 44, 45 yarder yesterday, and a 47 yarder at the end of two minute drills. That's what you need to see, but you need to see it in the games too. He was great in practice last year as well. And if there is any kind of an issue with um, game type situations, then they have to work through that and get that figured out and sorted out. But as of right now, it's all systems go with Cade York. They feel really good about him. They feel good about Bubba coaching him. And I don't think they have any plans at this moment to bring anybody else in. And look, this is obviously a very patient organization. We talk about that all the time. Um, Andrew and Kevin, they're all very patient. But kicker is tough because you know what a great way to lose a locker room is or to have frustration build in a locker room, have everything kind of go your way or do everything you need to do to win a game. And then the kicker misses a kick, but uh, you know, like the chargers game last year, right? Uh, That wasn't a game where everything went the Browns way, but they had an opportunity. They did what they needed to do at the end to try and steal that game. And then he missed the kick. So (laughs) missed kicks happen, but if it starts costing you games, that can really create some bad vibes in a locker room and really build up a lot of frustration. So 
if Cade struggles again this year, it's going to be really difficult to be patient. Yeah, well, hopefully for them, he'll get opportunities to kick in games over the next three weeks. He should get some. And they might even want to take some opportunities that they normally wouldn't. Um, so if they if they have some, if they have a chance to get him a, a kick and see what he can do out there, and it's not necessarily going to impact the you know the outcome of the game or hurt anything in any way, then maybe they'll try to do that. Um, because you, you have to be solid there. You just have to be so solid. And remember, he's very young. He's a young player. He struggled a little bit in his first year at LSU, and then he settled down and got it together. The Browns are counting on that happening again. And, uh, and it, it has to start, you know, beginning Friday night. Okay, some more questions here as we kind of go through these. This comes from, uh, let's do this. Actually, no, let's do a Jakeem Grant question. Ronnie Butcher from Chapmanville, West Virginia, will stay with special teams. Hey, Mary Kay, does Jakeem Grant have a legit shot at making this team out of training camp and becoming this team's punt returner? You know what? I think he does. I mean, so far right now, he is looking good, looking explosive, and I'm very surprised about that. To be 30 years old and to come back one year later from a ruptured Achilles and be able to go out there and return punts at a high level and return kicks at a high level and play receiver, that's remarkable. I mean, that is absolutely remarkable. So good for him. I hope it keeps up for him. You hate to see a guy go down with an injury like that. He's a really cool guy. Um, fans are going to love him if he can get out there and, and start returning some uh, punts for touchdowns and whatnot. Uh, it would be nice to take some of the pressure off Donovan Peoples-Jones and have him just focus on receiver as much as he can. So uh, I hope he can do this. I, I, you know, It's a great comeback story, and um, so far he looks good. I watched him limp off the field after his first day of practice. Okay, It wasn't a, a horrible limp. It wasn't like he needed some kind of help or anything, but it just looked like the leg hurt a little bit. That's probably to be expected when you're trying to make a comeback from a major injury like this. He was back out there again yesterday after a day off, and he looked really good again. And I, I had a chance, actually, kind of where I was sitting yesterday. I was right there when they were doing kick return. And he was it was him and Demetric Felton, and he was the first guy going. So he would go, and then Demetric would go. And then, and then there was actually another situation where at the very end of the drill, Jakeem returned one. And then because the clock was running down on the period, they kind of waved Dimitrik off and Jakeem took a second one in a row, a second consecutive kick return. So there's just a lot of signs pointing to if he's healthy and ready to go. And it's trending that way with him back on the field and back in team drills that they want him to be that kick returner and punt returner that they signed him to be. I think so. I mean, that's the hope. That's the goal. And you just have to hope that he can stay healthy. Sometimes you get residual injuries when you're trying to come back from an Achilles like that. I've seen that happen with a number of guys, but uh, you know, sometimes then you end up with a hamstring or you end up, end up with a groin or you end up with something else because even though you don't realize that you might be favoring the leg or whatever. Um, I was concerned when I saw him limp off, limp off the other day, I was concerned about that, but, um, but he showed that, you know, he bounced right back and went out and uh, participated fully in yesterday's practice. So I think we'll see him return some kicks in this game, possibly, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe they want to keep him healthy and get him to the season, but um, just such a great sign that he's out there able to do it. Okay. A few more here. Uh, let's do this one. Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut with the starters playing on Friday night. Hey, Mary Kay, given the injuries after the first preseason game, what do you think is the right amount of playing time for starters in the preseason? I'll tell you what, you know, Guys are going to get injured, whether it's the preseason game, whether it's a practice. I mean, we saw Jerome Ford and Drew Forbes get injured in a practice the other day. Now, albeit it was a very rainy day, and I, I really questioned whether or not they should be practicing in that rain because I figured that there would be a couple of injuries to come from that. But the Browns have a very new drainage system that they put in last year. And they wanted to test it out. That's why they got it, so that they can practice in inclement weather. And Kevin Stefanski wanted to test his players in a weather condition because they're going to have to deal with that. So, um, you know, you don't want to be a you don't want to live in your fears. You know, you've got to do football. So, um, you know, I just don't think it's a game situation. 
all across the league, we're hearing about players getting injured in practice. I think, and I would love to check with the NFLPA about this, I think there are far more Achilles injuries than I've heard of in in the last 10 years. I feel like there's been more in the last like two, maybe three years than I've heard of in the previous 10 years. I, I could be wrong about that. I'd love to see some numbers on it, but something seems up with me with that. And if it is, then the league needs to look into their training methods or whatever and find out why that's happening. It's like the in- injury du jour of the week, as Butch yeah. Davis used to say. Well, and it's happening in basketball a lot more, too, I feel like. Yeah. Like guys are right. rupturing Achilles. I mean, big like Kevin Durant had one. Clay Ta- like It seems to be happening in basketball and football more than I seem to recall, too. I'm with you on that. Right. I mean, it's like every day uh, somebody somebody else in the NFL is rupturing an Achilles. And that used to be a, a little bit more of a, you know, a rare, uncommon injury. Again, I could be wrong about that. I want to see some numbers on it. But those are things that happen. And I thought Joe Burrow had a ruptured Achilles attend in the way that he grabbed uh, his leg and, and hobbled off there. Uh, so you always have to be very leery of that. But um, but anything can happen. Anything can happen. And I'll tell you what, the Browns are practicing for two days. They're going to practice hard for two days against the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia coming up on Monday and Tuesday. It's not a game situation, but, you know, they could easily end up with two, three more significant injuries out of that. So you can't prevent it. You know, there's 90 guys out there. They're going to get banged up. When you're practicing hard, injuries are going to happen. You just have to hope. You have to hope against hope that your very key players, the Deshauns, the Knicks, Miles, Denzel, Amari, Jed, Jack, you know, you just have to hope that your key starters remain healthy and get you to the start and the end of the season. And it's one of those things where I don't think there's a right answer. You know, I mean, some teams are super protective and then they just get a ton of injuries during the season or their season goes nowhere. And other teams play guys like Andy Reid plays guys. Mm-hmm. And the Chief, the Chiefs are one of the best teams in football and they won the Super Bowl and they, you know, Patrick Mahomes has been fine. So I don't I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I don't think plays much in the preseason, at least he didn't in Green Bay. And then he'd go out and win an MVP. So I, I don't know. There's not I guess that's why we like to talk about it this time of year, because there isn't a right answer necessarily, but I guess it's kind of fun to debate. I don't know. Is it fun to debate? I don't know. We love to talk about it. You know what? (laughs) I I think it is. It is a very interesting debate and it's every team does it differently. We just uh, asked Kevin Stefanski the other day. What about the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers tackle to the ground in most of their practices? You don't see that with the Cleveland Browns. You're not seeing that. Now, and we know that the Cleveland Browns uh, rely heavily on exercise science and analytics for injuries and stretching and all the other things that they do. And they try really, really hard to keep their guys as healthy as possible. But your best efforts, I mean, you're playing a violent game with with big men that are, uh, you know, just full of muscles. <laughs> and, and you're going to have issues and you're going to have injuries. So, you know, I mean... By the time we pod by like next Wednesday, there's going to be three or four more guys that we're talking about that, that got hurt in, in this game and in those two Philadelphia Eagles practices. And you just have to hope that it's nobody that uh, where it could make or break your season. I mean, yeah. And, and like, that's just kind of football too, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about Deshaun Watson, I think it was yesterday and how he's managed to stay pretty healthy throughout his career and protect himself. And then, you know, Ashley brought up, he tears his ACL in a non-contract, non-contact drill and practices rookie year. Like that's mm-hmm. what do you do about that? So, I mean, that's just kind of football too. Like guys are going to get hurt. You just sometimes have to cross your fingers and hope. And I, this sounds kind of cold. You just got to hope it's not the the wrong guy, that it's not one of the guys that you need to go win a Super Bowl. Um, and I, like I said, I just don't, I don't know that there's a right answer because it's so many teams do it in different ways. 
And right now, even though it seems like the Browns are getting banged up, you know, they, they have Marquise on the sidelines with blood clots. They've got Alex and Isaiah who had to have knee scopes this week and are going to be out until early in the season. They've got Jerome Ford, who's now week to week with a, a hamstring injury, and he may or may not make it back for the first week of the season. But these are not catastrophic injuries. These guys are all coming back and they're going to be okay. A catastrophic injury is, we know what that is, and I'm not even going to say it and jinx anybody, but that's what they have to hope to avoid. Okay, I've got a few more, uh, just some quick hitters here. I I said the guy's name, so I feel like I have to ask his question. And it is an interesting question. Phil Knopp from Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, Mary Kay, what is the status of Marquise Goodwin and has improvement taken place? And I think this is interesting because we see Marquise out there every day. Like he's obviously not going through team drills. and He's not going through drills and stuff, but he's out there with the team. We see him running with the wide receivers after practice. The position groups will do like sideline to sideline sometimes sprints, sometimes not quite sprints with the bigger guys, but they'll do sideline to sideline running and Marquise is out there with them. I've seen him. I think I've seen him doing some push-ups sometimes with the wide receivers. So he's out there and he's active, obviously not participating in practice, but um, I, I don't know. Is there any optimism for Marquise right now? You know, I really don't know because um, he has to be for a period of time, on blood thinners, I'm sure, uh, when you have blood clots. So he is probably on some kind of a blood thinner as we speak, and that makes it extremely dangerous uh, to go out and get some kind of an injury. Um, and, you know, when you have blood clots in your lungs too, I mean, you're not going to have uh, no, your wind, your conditioning, and, and those kinds of things. So I'm going to have to say that I, I think he's probably going to end up on some kind of an injury list. And I don't know if he'll be able to make it back this season or not. Everybody wants him to. He's one of those really, really good guys uh, that you're just always pulling for. Um, and I, I want to mention too, that yesterday when I was watching him, he was helping Cedric Tillman like crazy. You may have seen it too, Dan, uh, where he was really, really working hard uh, with the rookie third round pick. And, uh, and Cedric was just, absorbing it and soaking it all in. And I just thought that that was really cool. Marquise Goodwin, even though he's not on the field right now, he's been, uh, he's made an impact on that receiver realm and his attitude is amazing. And I remember in Greenbrier, I did a story about how he's, he's an inspiration right now to other guys on the team. And Amari even admitted it, you know, to see him, to see his great attitude, to see that he's here and wants to be out there with his football team, uh, it's it's really been a pick-me-up and a boost for the other guys. So he's making his contribution. Yeah, and you had mentioned it earlier. I talked to, to Austin Watkins on Wednesday, and Marquise was one of the guys he mentioned when I'm like, who's kind of helped you, you know, figure this thing out and get up to speed and, and learn how to be a pro? And Marquise Goodwin was one of the names he brought up. So he's he's still been a very important uh, important person in that receiver room, even though he's not playing. All right, two more here. Jeff's a PC from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Hey, Mary Kay, where's Paul De Podesta? He seems to have disappeared in the media. Is this by design? We do see Paul uh, out of practice on occasion, on occasion, but he's never really done a lot of media since he's been here with us. No, he he hasn't. I mean, he's he's a behind the scenes operator, and you know that's kind of how he likes it. Uh, Andrew Barry is the face and, and the voice of the personnel department. And, you know, that's by design. So uh, we talk to Paul occasionally. Sometimes we'll talk to uh, Paul at the NFL owners meetings in March. We did not do that this year. Uh, so I think he does kind of like to stay in the background a little bit and everybody do let everybody do their thing. Uh, but he certainly is here doing his job as chief strategy officer. And he's still involved in, you know, all the major decisions of the football team. And uh, so he has a large hand and a large say in, in what goes on. And, um, you know, he's just not, you know, on the on the front lines in terms of being visible. OK, one more here. This is kind of a fun one. Uh, it comes from Brian in Minnesota. Now that things are ramping up, there's that phrase. What is something you forgot about? as the season kicks off, that is a pleasant or unpleasant reminder. And just to kind of clarify what he means, he says, so like when you do back to school shopping as a parent, you forget just how much money you end up spending on back to school. So now that we're back in training camp, is there something, some training camp thing that you had in the back of your mind that sort of, oh yeah, 
I forgot that this is what I have to take care of in training camp, or this is what I have to do. I was trying to rack my brain on this one. Um, I wasn't a hundred percent sure. See, the thing is with Kevin, I think we know his training camps now too. That's the thing. it's like his fourth training camp and really like his third kind of normalish training camp. I feel like we know Kevin's camps pretty well, but is there something that kind of hit you like, Oh yeah, I forgot about this. I'm, let me think about that for a minute. When you thought about it for a second, did you were you able to come up with anything, Dan? Because if you did, then maybe that'll give me a minute I, to try to jog my mind. So this is one in the past, but this year I've, I've kind of came in with a different approach because I've kind of expected it. Like sometimes you go into training camp and you're like, all right, I'm going to come away from this with all the answers, right? I'm going to see ever i'm going to see the depth charts i'm going to see who's playing where i'm going to know going to know who's making the team these practices every practice is going to teach me something new and then you stand out there at some practice i mean like yesterday's practice you kind of stand out there for an hour and a half and watch practice and it's like i don't think i really learned anything today (laughs) so so i think that's one thing it's like sometimes i forget about that like there's just days when you go out there and you stand out there for an hour and a half or two hours and you sit down and you're like I don't think I really gained anything from watching that practice. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you what, I did think of something. One thing that I forgot about, and this is topical because I got even asked about it on the radio this morning. One thing that I have forgotten about is just how good Miles Garrett is in practice and how difficult it is for a guy like Jed Wills to have to go up against him every single day in practice. So much so that I think it can be demoralizing at times. And I don't know that it has always been the best thing for Jed Wills Jr. to have to go up against Miles Garrett as much as he has. And I think they should give him a break on that because so often you're going to come away from a play thinking that you suck. And you know what? It might not be that you suck. It might be that you're just going up against the best defensive end, arguably, uh, in the NFL, down in and down out, and, you know, I made I made this point earlier today, I think it was on, on the radio, that you're, you're only going to see a Miles Garrett maybe four times a year, right? I mean, you're, you know, you're going to see TJ Watt. I mean, you're going you're, you're gonna to see those guys uh, three or four times a year. But you're not going to have to deal with that level of ability and talent of an NFL Defensive Player of the Year candidate every single game, every single down. And, and you forget about that. And I had to, I, I had to make that point that fans coming out there might think that, that Jed Wills is horrible and that he hasn't made any progress and that he's getting beat. And you have to remember who he's going against. Miles is amazing. Who would want to do that in practice every play? Yeah. And also they, like they weren't in pads yesterday. So it's harder for an offensive lineman when you're not in pads. And it's kind of like Miles can just pin his ears back and go. So like, that's perfect for Miles. And yeah, it's, it's tough. And the other thing about camp too, is like when somebody does something good, it means somebody else on the team did something bad. So like Juan Thornhill gets an interception. Well, that means the quarterback threw an interception. So it's like the, the good and the bad. So it's hard. I actually, I, I need to find it, but JJ Watt was on a podcast recently. And I think it was Chris Long's podcast. And he was talking about, one of the things he hates about training camp is that, you know, we're, we're standing out there and we're tweeting out videos and we're sending out videos. And sometimes a guy can look really bad, but it's just cause he's working on something or he wanted to try something on a particular play. So a video goes out of a guy getting pancaked or a guy getting just destroyed in a pass rush. And it's because he wanted to try something or he wanted to set a certain way, or he wanted to see if something worked like, cause they're practicing. So sometimes you fail and and that can kind of skew the narrative on a guy a little bit. Um, and with with poor Jed, you know, I know Hayden uh, Hayden Grove and I, I think we both tweeted out the same video from different angles of Miles just tearing around the edge against Jed. And there were certainly some replies that were kind of ripping on Jed a little bit. And I, I think that's a little bit unfair. Yeah, and you know what? And I try to do this. I know you try to do this too. What you were trying to do was put out a little video clip showing Miles doing something good. But as you as you noted, when someone's doing something well, somebody else is getting beat on something. And so, you know, inadvertently, 
you know, that makes Judd look like, oh, you know, Judd, Judd's not very good. Um, but what I know what you do this because we've talked about this before. If a guy drops a pass or does something else in practice, like I delete most of those videos. I don't try to do that to a guy in practice. I know you don't either. I mean, if when we're trying to show a play, we're trying to show the thing that happened that was good for that player, for one of the players anyways. And, uh, you know, I think we make an attempt to to be cognizant of these guys are out there working on things. We don't know the assignment all the time. And, and I think we're very judicious and very careful uh, to try not to show uh, a play that is just going to make a guy look bad. And um, so I understand what JJ Watt is saying there. And it, you know, and, and it is kind of tricky because like you said, if you show the one Thornhill interception, you're going to get, a bunch of comments that, you know, Deshaun Watson's, you know, struggling again this year or whatever. But, um, you know, there's only four more open practices. Um, well, there's the two Philadelphia practices, but in terms of just being in front of fans, there's only four more of those. So we're going to be back to, you know, not being able to show very much at all in practice. So, um, so this little phenomenon will end soon. Yeah, I've I've certainly made choices when I've had videos and I'm like, oh, that was a really good video. But it's like, I, I just didn't want to. Right. Either I didn't want to deal with the replies or I, I just thought it was unfair to put. I mean, I'll just say I'll just say on the pod there at the Greenbrier, there was a play where I think it was Donovan Peoples-Jones put a little double move on Greg Newsom and Newsom fell and Peoples-Jones made a great play. And like the play before, Newsom had made a really nice play on somebody. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like if I tweeted out that video, it was just going to be a bunch of people in my mentions tagging Greg and ripping on Greg. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not our job to protect guys necessarily, but it is like, what's the value of me putting that video out there? Right. And somebody picks it up that, you know, out of context. And I don't know. So, yeah, I, I try to be I try to be fair when I tweet out videos. I, I yeah. want to put out good stuff, <laughs> you know, that's we'll, we'll tell right. you everything that happens. But as far as the social media videos go, I'm I, I'm a little picky sometimes about what I put out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we're doing it the right way. I think we are we're out there trying to be as fair as possible. And uh, and, you know, we're, we're not out there to try to make anyone look bad. So it's unfortunate uh, that Jed had to take some of that heat, but Jed's going to take heat anyways, no matter what Jed is just a sort of a, a lightning rod, I think for criticism because he was such a high pick. Uh, but in these particular practices, it's um, you know, we just have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Okay. There we go. A little bit of practice talk, some journalism. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I would call that. Uh, how to cover practice. That's what we'll call it um, here mm-hmm. on the orange and Brown talk podcast. I mentioned it earlier. Make sure you're a football insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Brown's the blue banner at the top of the page. Follow us on Instagram, search orange and Brown talk, and also find us on YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com on YouTube. And you'll find us there. Uh, and all those questions did come of course, from our football insider subscribers. Browns play on Friday night. We'll have a post game pod. It'll be either late Friday night, or we might do what we did last time and get together early Saturday and record something, but we'll have something coming off that. And then the Browns head to Philly. We'll have complete coverage of that all at cleveland.com slash Browns. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.